Happy New Year. Welcome everyone to Every Nation Church Las Vegas. My name is Matt. I'm the associate pastor at our church. We're thankful that you could join us today. And today is really cool because it's the start of a new year and it's the start of a new series. This series is called Abide. And it's really special because we're doing this with every nation family from around the world. I think it's like 85, 87 countries right now growing in spite of everything that's going on. And as we go through this series, and the goal of this series is to help people have a renewed commitment to read, understand, believe in, and obey the Word of God. And in addition to this series, we're also praying and fasting together. Now, we know what praying is. Praying is talking to God. But fasting adds another level to that. Uh, When we fast, typically you're giving up food in order to be hungry for God. It's sacrificing something that we want, that we need, that we rely on so that we can rely on instead. Typically, you're going to see this throughout the Bible with food, but there are other ways to do it as well. I think it's 1 Corinthians 7, 5 that alludes to husbands and wives abstaining for a period of time to devote themselves to prayer. So really, the idea and principle is that we're giving something up so that we can get more of God. And we're going to do this corporately as a movement around the world from January 10th through the 14th. Now, how you do that? is up to you. Talk to a life group leader if you need help figuring out how to do it. Uh, you can fast from food completely. Uh, typically, people like to do that for three days. That's probably what I'm going to do. Just rely on liquids, rely on the Holy Spirit. Uh, some of you can go on what's called a Daniel's fast, which is a lot of fruits and vegetables. I ain't about that life. I would rather just not eat personally. But of course, you want to talk to your doctor and you want to talk to a leader. My wife is in her third trimester. It's probably not the best idea for her to fast, so I'm going to do it for both of us. Doesn't mean I'm doing it for six days, but the heart's going to be there. Uh, Pastor Roland sends his greetings. Um, there's a lot going on in the world right now. He, he got exposed to COVID. He's got symptoms, so just keep him in prayer. He went the whole family, uh, but they're doing well. Spoke to him yesterday. You could hear it in his voice. He texted us this morning. He's praying for us, so Pastor Roland sends his love. Whenever he gets back, we're going to do the communion as well. We wanted to do communion today, but he's got the communion elements, and I don't want to touch them. (laughs) So today, as we get into this series called Abide, we're going to talk about what it means to know the Word. But before we get that, have you ever heard someone referred to by a different name or by a nickname and wondered, how did you get that name. Like, I don't know if everybody knows, like Casey, my, that's my cousin, JC is her twin sister, also my cousin. You might have heard them call me Makana. Makana is my Hawaiian name. It's Makana Okalani. It means gift of the Lord. I am the Lord's gift to all of you. That's what it means. Also, Ohana means family. Sometimes we hear these names and we wonder, where did this come from? Like, for example, this guy. Who's that? Yes, this is Babe Ruth, except it's not Babe Ruth. His name's not Babe. His name is George. George Herman Ruth. So then the question becomes, how did this man get the name Babe? It's a little weird for other grown men to look at this guy and say, hey, Babe. As the young people would say, that's a little sus, suspect. So here's how it happened. Babe Ruth, George Herman, grew up in an orphanage in Baltimore. And as he's getting ready to leave the orphanage, uh, the owner of the Baltimore Orioles finds out about this prodigious baseball talent named George Ruth. So he goes to see him play, and he's just enamored by this guy. He's completely blown away. Problem is, 
George, George Ruth is not old enough to sign his own contracts. So in order to sign the guy to a contract, he had to adopt him. So he adopts Babe Ruth, signs his contracts for him, which is also a little suspect. And then he begins to play. But because George Ruth had grown up in an orphanage, he didn't know how to live outside the orphanage. It was a Catholic orphanage. The nuns wouldn't let them go outside because the world is filled with evil, darkness, and full of terrors. Anyway, uh, he gets out, doesn't know what to do with himself. So now he's following the owner everywhere. I think the owner's name was Jack Dunn. And when his teammates on the professional baseball team would see this, George tagging around with this older man, they would look at him and say, there goes Jack with his newest babe. And that's where the nickname came from. And it stuck, and now it's legendary. That's where it comes from. So today we're going to start our series called Abide in John chapter 1. Uh, the book of John was written by John, brother of James, son of Zebedee, uh, of the 12 apostles. And Throughout the book of John, John refers to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved, the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, that's either the most humble nickname of all time, because he realizes he's nothing without the love of God, or it's the most arrogant nickname of all time. He writes his own gospel, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved the most. But in John chapter 1, the apostle uses a nickname or a title for someone else, and this nickname is what we're going to focus on today because it communicates one of the most important ideas about God. So let's go to it. We're going to read through John chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Skipping a few in the middle because they're about John the Baptist and we're not talking about him right now. Um, let's go there together. And excuse me if I get a little bit mixed up. I'm messing up, messing up the NIV and the ESV, but it's like this. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines at the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Thank you. The word who became flesh is Jesus Christ. But why does John use this nickname, this title for Jesus? What does it teach us about God and what does that mean to us today? That's what we're going to talk about today. What it means to know the word. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you. 
for your great love. You loved us so much that you came down to reveal God to us. So I pray, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself to us today and create this insatiable desire for you in our hearts, a desire that only you can fulfill. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. So why is Jesus being referred to as the Word here? Well, I like to think about it like this. Uh, our daughter is three and a half years old now. Her name is Allie. Most of you know her. Uh, if you don't know, Allie is short. It's a nickname. Uh, it's short for Aletheia, which is a big Greek word given to a little Filipino girl as a name. And as a three-year-old, there are often times where she's upset at something. Or she's frustrated or she's sad. We just don't know what's going on. All of these thoughts and feelings are bundled up inside her. One of the most frustrating things I encounter as a parent, one of, there's a list, we all know this, but one of them is when I don't know what's happening with my child. Or I don't know what's going inside her, going on inside her. I don't know what she's thinking. Because she's got these thoughts and everything going on, and I want to help my daughter, and I want to know my daughter. So, Jerick and I will tell her, use your words. Any other parents tell their kids that? Use your words. It's the oldest kid like, that we tell, use your words to. <laughs> I'm not going to put you on blast. Anyway, there was a time in which I was like 16 years old, and I would get in trouble, and my mom was like, what's going on with this grade? Like, I don't know. You can't say that anymore. It's basically, use your words. We tell her to use her words because her words reveal what's going on inside. It tells us how she's thinking, how she's feeling, what she wants. Her words even reveal her personality and her character. And because she's learning to use her words, we're able to know her more. Words take that which is hidden and makes it known. That's what words do. Now, Ali's a little shy, and I know people wish she would use her words with everyone. We are working on that. But that gives us insight to Jesus, the Word of God. Because before Jesus came, no one really had the opportunity to know God. And if anybody got a chance, or if anybody got close, it was limited to a very small group of people. I'm reading through Exodus uh, for my devotional time with God. It's my Bible reading time, prayer time. And in Exodus, Moses, the great Moses, there are movies about this guy. The Ten Commandments, the Prince of Egypt, Younger people are more familiar with that. It's Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey. And the, there can be miracles. There's a reason why I'm not on the worship team. Keep going. That one. So Moses is a big deal. And Moses says, hey, God, can I see you? And God responds to him, you can't see me. It's like John Cena. Or you can't touch this. Basically, God is so holy that the human body cannot withstand his glory. So God grants Moses the great privilege, hey, bro, you can look at my back. And that's the closest anyone had ever come. The creator God, the source of all life, the source of our meaning and our purpose, and joy and goodness. No one could know him. He was hidden. And it was frustrating for everyone. And then Jesus came. Jesus Christ became the word of God because he takes that which was hidden about God 
and makes it known. And that's why John chapter 1 verse 18 tells us, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So when we look at Jesus, we can see God. And that's why through Christ, we can see God in all of his passion for humanity and God's mission to save us. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned against God in Genesis chapter 3, God didn't wait. He didn't make them do a ritual. He didn't make them jump through hoops. God came chasing after them. And through the Son, Jesus Christ, he is born into human form and he leaves heaven and comes to earth because he's pursuing us. It is the mission of God revealed through Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we see the righteousness of God as Jesus is tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. I can be tempted after four hours of fasting. That's just a regular day. And Jesus stares Satan in the eye and rejects him and refutes him after fasting for 40 days because he reveals the righteousness of God. And through Jesus, we see the justice of God and the mercy of God in full and equal measure. God is just, and he demanded that sin be punished because sin damaged his creation. And sin destroys relationship with God and other people, and sin brought death into the world. If God is just, then he has to demand someone to pay that price. But God is also merciful. So he didn't want us to pay that price ourselves. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross... He satisfied the justice of God by paying the price for sin. And he demonstrated the mercy of God by paying it himself and not requiring us to, to pay that price. So in that single act, Jesus shows, reveals justice and mercy and love of God all at the same time. When we look at Jesus, we can see God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 explains it like this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God is on display in the person of Jesus Christ. So John, the apostle, and the other disciples, they've got this great benefit. And he speaks from, a, from the perspective of a first-hand witness. When he said in, I think, verse 14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only, one and only son. He's using the word we, we beheld, we saw it ourselves, we're witnesses. So as they saw Jesus and I got to know Jesus, they also saw God and got to know God. And the more they knew Jesus, the more they knew God. And that must have been incredible for them. But we don't see Jesus. And if somebody walks up to you and says, hey, guess what? I'm Jesus. Walk away. On campus at UNLV, there are, there's a group that says uh, Jesus reincarnated. It's basically, hey, hey, Jesus was born as a man again. He's Korean now. It's the Moonies. They're on campus at UNLV. We've got to deal with those guys. Let's walk away from them. The word has made it clear. Jesus has ascended, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, which is great, but how do we get to know him? If we can't look at Jesus, how do we know God? We get to know God through his written word, the Bible. 
to know the word is to know God. And to grow in our knowledge of the word is to grow in our knowledge of God. In Job chapter 5, Jesus is being persecuted by Jewish leaders there, demanding that he prove that he's God's son. So Jesus begins to point to five different witnesses that testify that he is the son of God. So Jesus points to John the Baptist, and he points to Moses, which we can't see them either. Uh, then he points to miracles, which we get sometimes. And he even points to God the Father himself. But these are powerful witnesses. And right there with these powerful witnesses, including God the Father, who is the most powerful witness of all time, Jesus says, also, by the way, you can look at the scriptures. John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. The scriptures testify about Jesus. They point us to Jesus. They pointed people to Jesus even throughout the Old Testament. When Jesus was born, he satisfied at least 300 prophecies concerning the company of the Messiah. And that's conservative. But we also see Jesus in the story of Noah. Well, how do we see Jesus in Noah? It's because in Noah's story, God was about to send his wrath to earth. And in order to save his family and preserve mankind, Noah built a boat out of wood to deliver them from the wrath of God. And then when Jesus comes to earth, Jesus carries a wooden cross to save mankind from the wrath of God and preserve us for all of eternity. And we see Jesus in the story of Moses and the Exodus. Because Moses comes as a deliverer to free the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt where they had been for 400 years. And then when Jesus is born, he's called the Christ because he's God's chosen deliverer to save every human who's ever lived from slavery to sin and death in which we had been slaves for the entirety of our existence. And then when David shows up on the scene, David stands before Israel on their behalf in front of a giant that no one else dare face because they know they could never defeat him. And David slays the giant. And then from his lineage comes a man named Joseph who adopts Jesus. And Jesus comes and stands on behalf of humanity to fight giants named sin and death that no one could defeat. But he beat them anyway. The scriptures point us to Jesus the whole time. And then the picture becomes even clearer in the New Testament as Jesus reveals the hidden things of God to us because he is the word of God. John highlights two of these especially important things in verses 14 and 17 of John chapter 1. He says this, The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, he says again, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Through the scriptures and through the Bible, we can know God's grace. The most famous scripture in the Bible about grace is probably Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you were saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. Grace is not something we work for. Grace is love and favor from God that we could never earn or deserve on our own. And by grace and through grace, we are blessed with far more than we could ever imagine. We can see grace around the world, pictures of the grace of God for us. And I feel like my own life is an example of the grace of God because of the way that God has blessed me. So when I started college in 2007, uh, 
everything was paid for. I was fully funded on scholarships and grants, etc. But the next year, in 2008, the world went into recession, and I lost tens of thousands of dollars in community scholarships overall. Uh, at the time, my mom was raising us by herself, and I didn't want to go into that kind of debt. I didn't see a way out of it. So I started to look into other options. So I thought, hey, I've always loved and appreciated the military. Both of my grandfathers are combat veterans. Maybe I can go serve my country, do something that I'll be proud of. And when I get out, I'll have the GI Bill. I can go back to school. Well, it sounded like a great idea, but the United States was at war. And my family didn't like the idea of me going to war. So one of my aunts pulls me aside one day and she says, I don't want you to do that. Go back to school. Get all the scholarships and the grants you can, and whatever leftover there is, whether it's a thousand, ten thousand dollars, don't worry about it. I'm going to pay it. I didn't do anything to earn that kind of love and favor from her. It was given freely. That was grace. So I went back to school that semester, and I went to marketing class. And that's the marketing class where I met my wife, Jerrica. And we can talk about God's sovereignty and destiny all we want, but speaking from a very natural perspective, if not from my auntie's grace, and probably the grace of God, I would not have my wife or my daughter, or my daughter who's on her way. Because of someone's grace, I've been blessed with immeasurably more than I could have ever, ever imagined. And that's what the grace of God looks like in our lives, too. That's the kind of grace that God wants to offer and extend to us. And he wants to give us an infinite amount of it. John chapter 116 says, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. About a month ago I went to Red Robin with uh, Tam and Caleb and Maverick. Is Mav here? Hey, there you went. There you are. So we went to Red Robin, right? And Red Robin's got bottomless fries. They also have bottomless zucchini sticks, but don't get the zucchini. It's like slivers of zucchini in batter. I was just eating batter. So we're over there at Red Robin, and they've got the bottomless fries, and you are about to finish your basket, and they bring you more fries. They bring you more zucchini batter. That's fries in place of fries already given. Bottomless fries. And God gives us grace in place of grace already given. It's bottomless grace. Just when you think you've used it up. Just when you think there's going to be none left. Just when you think God won't give you any more. Here comes another basket of grace. More love and more grace than we could ever deserve or earn. And because of that grace, we are blessed more than we could ever imagine. We are blessed with spiritual family who carry our burdens with us and walk with us through some of the darkest seasons of our lives. And we are blessed with relationship and love and forgiveness. And by the way, we're going to be blessed with eternal life with Jesus Christ forever. It's a lot of blessing. We can't earn that. It's grace. And that's the kind of grace we learn about in the word of God. Through God's word, we can know God's grace. And we can know God's truth. Our main passage in John chapter 1 said something interesting in verse 9. It said, The true light, which gives light to everyone, 
was coming into the world. So to say that Jesus is the true light who gives light to everyone is to also imply that there are false lights that only give light to some, that only give light to individuals. One of the defining philosophical ideas and concepts of this era is that of relativism, relative truth. It's an idea that says there are different ways of determining and interpreting the world. And what's true for you might not be true for me. Have you heard that statement before? Well, that's true for you and not for me. Different strokes for different folks. Here's a popular one currently. Well, that's your truth. But I have my truth. And sometimes that's okay. It's okay for some things to be relatively true. Is Hawaii far from Vegas? Depends what you're talking about. Far for us on a plane, yes, that's far. Far from Vegas compared to Mars. Basically on top of each other. Some truth is relative. Who makes the best fast food french fries? Okay, maybe that's absolutely true. Who makes the best fast food cheeseburger? Steak and shake or in and out, who's better? Aha! Relative truth. And it's okay for some people to say Shake Shack, and it's okay for some people to say in and out Different strokes for different folks. But if all we have is relative truth, your truth, my truth, we'd never be able to live in this world. That would be like trying to navigate a darkened world with nothing but our little flashlights on our phone to light the way. Now, if all the lights in this room went off at once, we can probably navigate our way outside with the lights on our phone. But what if the sun went dark and all we had was this? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And it's going to do nothing. This is not enough to give us heat. It's not enough to grow plants. And it's going to run out of batteries. We need something bigger than this little light. We need the sun. Because the sun has shined on everyone and everything since the world began. The sun is absolute. And when it comes to living our lives and navigating this world and knowing the truth about it, we need more than my truth. We need more than relative truth. We need an absolute truth, something that's true for everyone at all times, has been, and always will be. And that's why we have God's Son. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus tells us the truth about God. Jesus reveals the truth about God to us. He reveals to us who God is. He reveals to us what pleases God and what displeases God. And he reveals to us, perhaps most importantly for us, how we get to God. We get to God through him. And it's because Jesus, who is the word of God, who takes things that are hidden in God and makes it known to us, because he is the word, we can know 
principles about God. We can know the truth about God. This is truth revealed or revelation. Skeptics like to use this old anecdote. And in this story, there are three people. All of them are blind and they're touching an elephant. One person reaches out and he seals, says, what I feel in front of me is a group of feathers. It's a feather duster. But he's really touching the elephant's tail. Another man reaches out and says, what I feel ahead of me is a boulder, strong and hard. But he, what he's really feeling is the elephant's body. The third reaches out and says, what I feel is a snake, and it's coming to get me. But he's feeling the elephant's trunk and their goal in this illustration is to prove that all of us are just feeling our way through the world and what we know is a partial truth and full truth can never be fully known but there's a problem with the illustration the problem is that there's a fourth person the fourth person is the narrator who tells the story and the narrator who tells the story can walk up to the blind men Tell them, you're touching an elephant. Hold my hand and let me guide you to the other parts and I'll show you the truth about what you're touching. And this applies to the world too. Because the world had a creator and a narrator who left heaven and entered earth and said to all of us who are blind and touching our own version of the truth, this is the truth about God. Let me show you. This is Jesus Christ the word of God, who became flesh to reveal the hidden things of God to us. Principles about God, that's revelation. The thing about that is it's only one side of the coin that is truth in God. On one side of the coin, this is a coin now, it's not a phone anymore, just imagine, just imagine, just imagine. There's a coin. On one side of the coin is the truth about God, revelation principles about God, but on the other side, we see something else about God. And we consider the fact that God, the Son, left heaven to make himself known. God doesn't want us to just know about him. God wants us to know him personally. God wants us to know him because he knew us. And he loves us. So on one side of the coin of God's truth, we have revelation principles about God, and on the other side of the coin, we have relationship, knowing God personally. And because God wants to know us personally, we can come to God with nothing hidden. Jesus is the word who came to reveal the hidden things of God to us. He wants us to know God, and we see this very clearly in John chapter 4. When Jesus comes to reveal God to one of the most marginalized people possible at the time. Uh, Caleb, can you come play? Make me sound good at the end. Thank you. The person that Jesus appears to is a Samaritan woman. And the reason why she's one of the most marginalized people possible is because the Jews and Samaritans had years. Not dozens of years, probably not even hundreds of years, probably thousands of years at this point that the Jews and Samaritans have racial tensions between them. The Samaritans were essentially half-blooded Jews, and they had disagreements on basically every level of society, faith, and culture, and so on and so on. And this Samaritan is a woman, 
And in the first century, women were treated as second-class citizens. And this woman in particular has quite the past. So in the course of his conversation with her, Jesus points out that she had been married five times and divorced five times. And she was living with man number six. They weren't married yet. And to all the people that he could have appeared to, Jesus, the word of God, appears to this woman to reveal God to her. And we can know with confidence that if God wanted her to come to an understanding of who he is, then God wants all of us to come to an understanding of who he is. And as the conversation begins to come to a climax, Jesus says this, John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming, and it has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Now, there is a big Greek word for truth that we saw throughout John chapter 1, and we see it used again here in John chapter 4. Uh, that word, some of you know it, is aletheia. But aletheia truth has a very special connotation to it. It means truth with nothing hidden. Sometimes in our relationships, whether that be with each other or our relationship with God, we try to hide things. And the reason why we hide things is because we think that if people knew the truth about me, if God only saw the truth about me, what I really think, what I really feel, then he couldn't love me anymore. They would reject me. They wouldn't want me around anymore. And so we hide. We hide our pain. We hide our past. And we hide our sin. And as we hide in the dark, we suffer. But when Jesus says, true worshipers will worship in the spirit and in truth, what he's really saying is that you should come to God and worship him with nothing to hide. You don't need to hide your past. You don't need to hide your pain. You don't need to hide your sin. You can just come. God knows anyway, and he loves you anyway. The reason why we named our little Filipino child with a big Greek name is because we want her to know she can always come to God with nothing in it. And I think God wants us to know that this morning. That we can always come to him and we have nothing to hide. God didn't want to hide anything, which is why Jesus, the word of God, came to take the hidden things of God and make them known. To know God's word 
is to know God. To grow in the word is to grow with God. To love the word is to love God. And as we come to God, and we come to his word this month, in this series called Abide, alongside our every nation family around the world, I think God wants us to come to him and come to his word with nothing hidden. And when we've learned to come to God that way, that's what it means to know the word. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you refused to leave us in the darkness. And Jesus, you entered the darkness to bring your light to us. You wanted to make God the Father known. So Lord, I pray that we would know you. And God, I pray that we would love you because you first loved us. Create this hunger for your word inside us that no one can create. Give us this desire to know the God who loves us anyway, who loved us first. Lord, help us by your spirit to draw close to you and know you in deeper ways than we ever, ever have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This month, it's all about abiding in God, living in God, being with God. So we invite you to join us on this journey. Um, most of the life groups are going to be starting again this week if they've taken a break. Talk to your life group leaders. If you're not connected to a life group, come talk to us and we'd love to help you get connected to a life group. That's where everything really happens. Now, fasting. Um, if you need to talk about that, you can come talk to me or someone else. If all went according to plan, John should have updated the website during service. So if you need more information on fasting, go ahead and head over to everynationlasvegas.org. And uh, know God. God wants you to know him. And we can come to him with nothing to hide. So as we go about this plan and as we read the word together this month, let's have that confidence. God wants to be known. Let's abide in him. See you next week. God bless.